This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Hey everybody, we're back. It's a forever mighty post-game show tonight on, I don't know, a brilliant game here by the Ducks, I have to say, man. What a game tonight. That was just a beautiful win here by the Ducks, man. Eddie, thanks for joining us in uh, some remote parts of the Canadian world. Yeah, it feels like it because my internet is not that great. (laughs) It sounds like I'm phoning in on a radio station on the last podcast we did. Hopefully it's better than this one, but at least it's a win. I mean, where is this team coming from? Four wins in a row, eight, uh, what, nine of their last ten, 11 of the last 13? Uh, wow, I mean, I don't know. I don't I don't get it because it doesn't feel like much has changed, but uh, I'll take it. I'll take four wins in a row. Yeah, it's hard to argue that, and it sounds like you're on the radio again all of a sudden, to be honest with you. It's kind of funny how you said that, and then it, you started sounding like that. Perfect. So better. <laughs> <laughs> Ducks get out of Great. Pittsburgh with a 4-2 win on, uh, I don't know, man, a second period that was very much unlike anything we're used to seeing here out of this Ducks team. We're used to seeing them just fall apart in the second period. Here they're able to uh, climb back from a two-goal deficit, take the lead out of the second into the third of the lead. So a great game here by Anaheim. Uh, Andre Kasha continues to light it up. Uh, Getzloff as well playing another great game. But uh, great story and great feelings all around going into this one with uh, Gibby getting the start in the net in Pittsburgh tonight. For sure. Um, We always talked about John Gibson in the past and how uh, he struggled going home and playing in Pittsburgh. And now the last few games for him there have been pretty good. And uh, obviously was great again tonight. But uh, the story, I guess, was around him and then Daniel Sprong making his first appearance again against uh, his former team and Marcus Pedersen returning and getting a shot to play against the Ducks. Those were, I guess, were the, were the two big stories. But you go off Kiefer Sherwood going to his hometown in Columbus, and then you got John Gibson going to his hometown in Pittsburgh. I don't know if any of the Ducks are from New York, but we got New York tomorrow, so we'll, maybe it'll be <laughs> a, a triple header. I don't know. No, it'll be good news for them tomorrow that that uh, Rangers team is just should be struggling. But uh, they they definitely are not a team the Ducks should have to be looking in, at, at, you know, as like a, a giant opponent they have to overcome. And they had a bigger and better opponent tonight. But it'll be on the second half of back-to-backs, which will beg the question if John Gibson gets the second of the back-to-back with Ryan Miller still out, or will it be Jared Carreau? Yeah, uh, 
I don't think what. Well, did you say Ryan Miller? Ryan Miller's out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah he's out. So yeah. Um, I would assume Chad Johnson. Would you not? Or Chad Johnson? There you go. I totally forgot yeah. about him, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's very forgettable. Memorable, right? So. so um, I would I would think Chad Johnson probably gets the start. I don't think they go Gibby back to back. I don't think they can do that. Um, and Jared Caro, I I guess he's still up here, is he not? I, I don't I don't remember seeing him get sent back down. I didn't see it either. He might be, but uh, I don't think so. Yeah, so I would I would say Chad Johnson, uh, not <laughs> maybe not the best guy you want to start. We talked about him a lot on the last podcast, but uh, yeah, I would I would have to assume so. I mean, if you had to pick the game that you'd rather Chad Johnson play in, it'd probably be against the New York Rangers, who have lost I think three in a row and five of their, of their last six and eight of their last ten. That's probably the best matchup for him right now. Another team that also struggles to score goals. Um, yeah, you really wouldn't want to Chad Johnson to go against the Pittsburgh Penguins like Gibson did tonight and have to face Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Melk, and Phil Kessel. So uh, good thing Gibby went in, and, and also I guess a good thing too that he's starting to play better against his hometown team. Yeah, I mean, I was even worried about that, and then I was reminded, like, oh yeah, he's played pretty well. It's just the beginning of his career; he didn't play so well there. So yeah, good on him. The Ducks are able to get into this first period. It was pretty boring, man. Uh, for those of you that didn't get home in time from work or wherever you were at to see the beginning of this four o'clock start Pacific, you didn't see a lot. There was no shot on goal until about the six minute mark in the first period. So not missing out on much uh, around this first period. Ashton Reese gets denied, of course, by John Gibson on a breakaway. Um, but then the Ducks would get into a little bit of penalty trouble, and that would kind of cause them some problems early on. Uh, Evgeny Malkin gets a goal in the power play. Uh, and basically, he yeah, just snuck it through the arm and the body of John Gibson there to give Pittsburgh the one nothing lead. And Malkin's got a great shot, and there was traffic moving around in front. I mean, those go in sometimes. Not much you can do for John Gibson there. Not really, no. And, and I feel like he was pretty much on point for most of this game. The goals that went on in on him were kind of tough. I mean, Pittsburgh's power play, the guys that they have at their disposal, it, it's surprising that they don't score pretty much every time they're out there when you think that they can rotate through. Like I said, Castle, Crosby, Malkin, Chris Letang was back in the lineup tonight. I mean, the, just the guys that they can throw over the boards, it's, it's insane. And it's a tough one for him because it wasn't a perfect shot. And when you think Malkin scores on the power play, you're thinking he's probably blasting a shot past somebody or he's wiring a wrist shot top to the top corner and not necessarily sneaking one in like he did on this one so it's a, it's a tough one for Gibby because didn't really see all of it kind of bounced around a bit but uh, a, a tough one early especially on a, on a pitcher power play yeah and like you said what are you gonna do it's like an all-star team sometimes if they want to put all their top guys out there so you know Gibby lets one in on that shot it's a one nothing Pittsburgh lead not too lo- much later in the first period Rust would get a goal on probably one I mean and I know Hayward says it too but Gibby would want that one back it's clear he left the he left the short side post for just a second Rust is able to jam at it and he jammed at it and I think Gibby almost got back in time because the puck actually was on the ice it went all the way up at the top of the netting uh right you know under the crossbars so Gibson almost come able to come back and stop it but unable to control the puck there or his body on the post and now it's a two nothing Pittsburgh lead yeah, another tough one too because it it's right from the side of the net. I don't think gives it to kind of land where it did, and really for Brian Rust to just be left alone, kind of in front of the net like he was. He he was all alone, had some space to make a, a split second move and just jam it home. And again, that's a tough one because I feel like Gibby will want that one back. Uh, he'll probably think that he he wasn't far enough over on the post. 
kind of hugging the post to actually prevent any puck from getting in on that side. But again, I don't think he expected it really. Like it did take a little bit of a weird bounce, landed right to Rust, who was just in perfect position at that point to put it home. And it's a tough one because I don't think the Ducks played necessarily that bad. No. They weren't playing a horrible first period, but then they're all of a sudden they're down to nothing. And that's what Pittsburgh can do to you. I mean, Rust used to play in a line with Crosby. I don't think he has been as of late, but he's been scoring in pretty much every game. I think he has like five or six goals in in his last uh, six to ten games. He's been on the score sheet a lot lately, so that's a tough one. Yeah, but the good news for the Ducks is they came around in that first period, though, man. If you could feel the kind of tide turn on the chances that as the Ducks were able to battle back, um, even look at the shot share from the end, the very end of the first period on through the second period, the Ducks dominated. Um, they were able to come back here. They almost got a couple on DeSmith, who was in, in net tonight. I never even heard of this guy from uh, from Pittsburgh at all. But uh, he's a big kid. I think he played a pretty solid game tonight as well. But Silverberg was absolutely robbed from Rust sliding through the crease on the side of the net. The puck was bobbling. He didn't get the chance off with a pass from Kessler. Able to get the shot off as DeSmith is like diving over with his stick. But uh, Rust blocked it with the Shen guards. And then Sprong and Ritchie. I mean, Richie was just that close to making it just a 2-1 game on a really good pass by Sprong there on the 2-1-1. But uh, DeSmith was able to get kick the leg out at the right time and, and knock the puck away. But uh, solid ending to the first period. Yeah, that, that play by Rust was unbelievable because Silverberg, he, to be fair, he doesn't get a full piece of it. He kind of swats no. at it to get it on there because it was bouncing. But uh, I thought that was in. And Russ just comes out of nowhere. He comes into the frame for like a second, just full speed sliding legs first towards the boards. Not many guys are going to make that play, but uh, Rust is kind of that guy for the Pens where when he's playing well, he's putting the puck in the back of the net, but this is kind of what they're paying him for to be that almost uh, Andrew Cogliano type player where he's just kind of all over the ice doing everything, just a, a ball of energy for the Penguins. And yeah, that was, that was ridiculous. Just seeing him in there and, and slide to make that block. And then, yeah, I mean, Sprong out with Richie. Um, Daniel Sprong looked really good in this game. He looked like he was energized, which most players are when they're they're playing their former team for the first time. Um, and he uh, set up Richie with that that great pass, and it's a tough one. I think Richie would want that back. Kind of waits a little bit, doesn't fire off one timer. Uh, but Casey DeSmith made a really great save on that one. And I mean, it's it's weird for me still not seeing Mark Andre Fleury and saying his name with the Penguins or even Matt Murray. Oh yeah. Like he hasn't been there all year. They've had to go with Casey to Smith and Tristan Yari and like a bunch of different guys this year. It's been nuts. Oh, too bad for them. You know, but I mean, I'm not going to feel bad for a team that's got oh, three cups. Yeah. Not, not, <laughs> yeah. not a, not a guy over here is crying for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but let's go over to the second period because an amazing thing happened. Uh, the ducks got a power play, which that's not the amazing part. The amazing part is they actually freaking scored on it after controlling the play with lots of chances. It was something that we haven't seen in a while. I've been ragging on this power play for weeks now because they just don't look dangerous what's, you know, whatsoever. I don't know what the hell was going on. But uh, maybe this is a sign of good things to come here. Maybe I'm wrong and, and Boudreaux and the coaching staff, Jesus, I just said that. Maybe they're, they're all part of this turnaround here. You got to give some credit where credit's due. You don't go on this kind of run without any sort of, you know, coaching stability and what they're doing and preaching all the same things, right? He's not mixing it up every night. He's he's probably preaching his same story over and over again. And if it's starting to work now, man, I'll, I'll buy it. But uh, to get a power play goal here, Henrique gets on the board. 
Sprong tries to go short side. I mean, go figure again. The Smith makes the save. Richie backhands it, just swats it open on the slot. And then Henrik didn't just put the puck in the net. He roofed that top corner there to get the Ducks uh, to cut the deficit by one. I just can't believe you said Boudreaux in the coaching staff. I know. I recognized that, and I just kept rolling with it. <laughs> just keep going with it. True pro. I'm not going to stop. Going. Carlisle. Randy Carlisle. That's so much I don't like saying his name. That's how uh, similar they are now with the way that Randy Carlisle is coaching this team and rolling all the lines and then switching everything up on a nightly basis. Oh, yeah. He hasn't been doing that lately, though, right? He hasn't. Uh, he's kind of stopped the line juggling. We've seen very similar lines, if not identical, for what the last five or six games at least i think where they've kind of been similar but i don't know man the power play uh in this one looked better uh obviously henry gets on the board but i thought you were gonna say a surprising thing happened that the ducks actually played a good second period <laughs> and they didn't get to, they actually played a solid second period where i think this was one of their better middle frames of the entire year uh, they everything was going well for them. They outshot the Pens heavily, and then getting a power play goal is just kind of icing on the cake, too. So Dean Hansberry in our chat, uh, I think he's new to us. I haven't I haven't seen him in here before, but uh, thanks for chiming in here. He wanted to know what our thoughts were on the knee-on-knee incident. I didn't see it. Was it Jakob Silverberg who took a knee-on-knee in tonight's game? I didn't I see it. No idea. If I anyone in chat knows what idea. we're talking about here, if someone has a link to something, send it over to us on Twitter. I didn't catch it. Um, honestly, I might have I might have been like turned away for a second or missed it. I didn't see the uh, the knee on knee incident. I was wondering if you saw it, Eddie. No, I, I, I he finished the game, didn't he? Yeah, I think, I think he, he played did. the whole game through. I'm gonna check now, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it would, who was the one who got hurt by the knee on the first knee on knee, the bad one we saw almost a month ago? Was that Silverberg too? Oh man, it might have been. It? I don't I remember, can't remember that. Exactly who it was, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to look right now because I'm pretty sure, like, let's see, Silverberg. Yeah, Silverberg played um, just over 16 minutes tonight, so obviously no, no worse for wear on that. I'll have to go back and look at the play and see if it was bad. But neon knees are never good, so no, luckily he actually all. finished the the game and didn't seem like it was an issue. Knowing the Ducks, we'll we'll hear tomorrow that he's out four to six weeks with some type of knee injury. Let's hope not. No, how none much, of that bad luck they've had this year it's been been unbelievable so yeah dean i'm sorry we couldn't see it there but uh if you catch that throw it in our chat we'll, we'll check it out i definitely want to go take a look at that because i'm curious if i missed it but uh let's move on here in the second period i mean the crosby line when they were out i mean granted they were able to create some chances but not in the second period man the ducks took over andre kasha actually drew a call on Sidney crosby to cause the ducks to get on the power play and the Ducks were able to start churning out more chances on this one. Not able to score. But shortly later, the fourth line of all, right, would come out yeah. and bury one here. Carter Rowney flying through the neutral zone with speed along the wall. Crosses over the blue line. Puts on the brakes there. And then is able to, uh, like, he was, like ready, like, ready to brace for a hit. He, like, stopped right on the inside of the blue line and threw the puck to Sherwood, who was just flying through the middle. And he was able to use the defenseman as a screen there. And just buried onto Smith. A really pretty play. That quick release and the screen was uh, just meant everything there for that goal. It was a great move by Sherwood. Yeah, I, I mean it's great to see some secondary scoring and seeing the fourth line get on the board. They they went out there a lot. I believe Sherwood and, and uh, Gibbons were out for less than ten minutes tonight. So making an impact when they are on the ice. And Carter Rowney, another former Pan in the Ducks lineup, 
making a difference. It was a, a great kind of uh, just almost a drop pass, but just like an area pass by Carter Rowney over to Sherwood. Uh, perfect shot. Uh, we haven't seen this much from Kiefer Sherwood. I mean, we've compared him a lot in his, I guess, ineptability to put the puck in the back of the net <laughs> to, to Andrew Cogliano. Um, just the finishing ability isn't there. Uh, but this was a great shot, perfect shot. This is what we would normally see from Daniel Sprong as of recent or Andre Kasha, this type of shot where it's perfectly placed under the blocker and above the pad. And I got to give it to Kiefer Sherwood. I didn't expect it. Uh, you know it was a good scoring chance, but when he has the puck and a scoring chance like that or in a breakaway, you kind of lean to the Andrew Cogliano side. You're like, oh, he's probably going to miss. He's yeah, he's not going to bury that. Chest. There's no way he's going to finish it. Yeah, but he ripped it. I mean, he ripped it and he used the defender as a screen. Uh, so great effort by him and a big goal for the Ducks to tie the game too. Yeah, and you know what? The biggest chance there for uh, for Pittsburgh was another save on Aston Reese. Um, he was alone in the in the lower slot. Gibby made himself big and made a nice save there. And the Ducks, you know, it, it actually ended up taking another penalty. Dodgson went to the box for holding. Ducks killed that off with ease. I thought they were going to the third period tied at two. But, of course, I mean, Andre Kasha had to make a name for himself again tonight. That kid's just been on fire. Getzloff wins the draw essentially to himself because the puck bobbles as he draws it back. He reaches back because the puck went between his own legs and is able to get enough on a wrist shot to cause a rebound in front. And then Latang just like Kasha just go in on top of that crease all alone. It was a brutal play there by the defense to let the Ducks top, you know, in my opinion, top player right now. You know, all yeah. in front of the net, to able to bury a rebound. Now it's a three to two lead. The Ducks climb all the way back in the second period, man, to take this lead. Very impressive second period for the Ducks. Surprising because of what we've seen as of late for them in the second period, where they either just kind of play at par with teams or just get completely outplayed. Uh, for them to just dominate in the second period is is finally nice to see. I don't mm-hmm. expect it to be consistent, but it's nice to see it every now and then. And obviously, win the Ducks the game in this case. They just severely outplayed uh, the Penguins in this period and, and kind of coming back from a disappointing first where they probably felt that they didn't deserve to be down 2 nothing, and they came out and they showed it and you know, on this goal I originally thought it was like a patented Getzlaff play you know where he sometimes just shoots the puck off the face off I think he was going for that he missed just lands in the perfect spot and decides <laughs> to just throw it on it anyway and uh, Andre Kasha with just the perfect like, he's just got such good hands in front of the net quick hands to be able to corral that take it to the forehand and put it in the open net you can tell the smith did not expect one i think Andre cash should even be there but to have the hands to actually make that play and put it in the back of the net but i mean this guy's just been unbelievable since coming back in the ducks lineup he's got six goals in his last six games he's not missing that one he's got seven points in his last four he's he's absolutely just on fire so going into the third period, we can actually keep this one pretty nice and sweet. Not a lot of action, uh, really, for either team in the third period. Gibby had to keep the Ducks in it a couple of times, but it wasn't like it was Crosby and Malkin and Kessel to you know lighten up the offensive zone. Um, there was a few chances here and there. I know that uh, Kashe and Manson went to the box early on in the third. There was a scary moment there for the Ducks. They had 17 seconds. They had to battle back on a 5-on-3 disadvantage, but they were able to get through that one. Um, that was huge. Gibby had to make a save on Malkin on the one-timer. But I don't know, man. How did you feel that third period? I, I felt like the Ducks played pretty strong. I knew the score effects would eventually take over, and the Ducks would start playing more prevent, and the Pens would you know start coming at them. But uh, until the Getzloff empty netter, I didn't really feel the Ducks were in trouble. 
No, I don't think they were in trouble. They got outshot, I think, thirteen to six in that period. But again, when you when you have any type of lead going into the final period, you're, you're kind of going to expect usually to get outshot. A lot of those shots come in the last five minutes of the game when you're really starting to sit back and letting the other team, and maybe not letting the other team dominate, but you know just trying to hold out and get that win. Um, and then obviously when the Pens pull their their goalie, the Ducks actually capitalize on it. But I, I think barring a couple big saves by John Gibson, it was a pretty textbook period for when you have a lead. Um, you know, the Ducks are going to, it's going to happen. You know, Gibson is going to have to make those big saves on occasion. But the Ducks, I think, did pretty much everything they could to close out that period. And, and you know, when you come against a team, again, like I, I've already said this already, but when they have Malkin and Crosby and Kessel and, and all these these offensive weapons, they're going to get chances. And I think the Ducks are comfortable knowing they have a goaltender like John Gibson who's able to make those big saves and they can focus on the defensive side of the game and just trying to close it out and get the win. Yeah, that's the important thing, right? And the Ducks are able to seal the deal there in the third period with Ryan Getzloff netting an empty netter there to wrap it up, gives him a goal and an assist on the night. Um, the captain, everything moves through John or John Gibson, who the has through Ryan yeah, does, Getzloff. But... <laughs> Man, my t- I'm like tongue twisted today between Boudreaux, Carlisle, now Gibson and uh, and Getzloff for some stupid reason. But uh, Getzloff is able to bury the empty netter, seal the deal, four two win for Anaheim, a comeback victory, but not like we've seen. Usually we see it in the third period. Tonight we saw it in the second period, and then to come out on the road and play a solid third against a team you knew was going to push back. Very impressive here from Anaheim. Very, very happy. And that was a strong win. Yeah, key thing I think you said there, too, is on the road. The Ducks have won six straight road games, which is something we're not used to seeing from the Ducks uh, of pretty much any year. It seems like they've always been so good at Honda Center. And then the road's just kind of been subpar. Even in, in good seasons for the Ducks, where they've won the Pacific Division, it's they've just been so dominant on the, on the at home. And they've been okay on the road. But I mean, six straight six straight wins on the road against some pretty good teams with some more road games coming up. That looks positive for the Ducks' chances going into New York and going to play Buffalo and Boston and and then coming back and having to play San Jose as well. It, it makes you a little bit more confident that they're going to be able to pull these wins and that uh, they're going away from home and feeling like they can get the job done, which is something we didn't see early on. I mean, they looked terrified to be away from Honda Center. I mean, they looked terrified to be at Honda Center too. <laughs> but... Uh, I, I, to, to whatever they've changed around to get them to this point where they've won nine of their last 10 and 11 of their last 13. Mm-hmm. No, they're absolutely playing really well, really well. It's a well-oiled machine, for lack of a better term. A little cliche saying right there, but uh, they're killing it right now. They're going to have to take that effort and take it into, into uh, to Madison Square Garden tomorrow night and come out with the same fire because, I mean, we see a lot of times in the second half to back-to-back, uh, on back-to-backs, that just the same effort's not there. So I'll be curious to see what Ducks team we get tomorrow night. But before we get there, we have some post-post-game stuff to talk about here. Um, we already talked about Ryan Kessler, or Ryan Kessler, Ryan Getzloff. Again, man, I'm off today. Oh, my God. <laughs> Andre Kasha. What's going on? <laughs> and then uh, and then John Gibson. The Vesna talk. Can we start that right now? Because I really feel that uh, the Vesna talk uh, should start to be coming around about now. We're almost at the midway point of the regular season. And in my opinion, John Gibson's running away with it. Yeah, I think so. There's some other goaltenders who are up there. Um, I, I I don't know if he's running away with it. Um, 
I, I haven't watched enough of some of the other guys to really say that. I, I think because we've seen John Gibson so much and just how much he means to this team, I, I'd almost say if you're looking at what he's running away with, maybe it's the, the Hart Trophy, right? I mean, just how much he means to this team. You know, probably he's not going to get the wins to compete with Pekka Rene and Frederick Anderson, who are probably the two front runners at this point. Sure. Andre Vasilevsky coming back. You know he's going to pick up some wins with the Tampa Bay Lightning as well. Uh, but I think he's up there. He has to be. He's in the discussion like he was or like we believed he would be last year, right? So it'll be interesting. If he continues to play this way and doesn't get a nomination again, uh, there's going to be a riot from Anaheim Ducks fans for sure. Well, let's take a look at the stats. So I'm on natural stat trick if anyone at home is following along to see where we're getting these these great numbers here for uh, for John Gibson. Um, and you're looking at – I'm looking at goaltenders. I know this is great podcast or radio because you can't see anything that I'm doing. But um, you look at save percentage, and honestly, this guy's killing it. He's sitting at – do they not have it on here? I just pulled up the site that's not going to show me what I want. This is embarrassing. Well, right now, I, I save <laughs> percentage. The leader is Pekarene. Yep. Pekarene is at 9.29. Vashilevsky is at 9.28. Miko Koskinen for the Edmonton Oilers is at 9.28. No, and but you can't Gibson. do that. You can't do that. You got, you got to go with 1,000 minutes played. You got you got to you got to pump that well, up. Well, I'm just – yeah, I, I'm just kind of going – I'm going down the list. And uh, John Gibson's at 9.27, which is – He's right around there. So if you're going to put him with guys minutes played, it's probably just him and Pekarene because Vasilevsky has been hurt. Miko Koskinen has been backup slash starter, kind of 1A, 1B with Camp Talbot in Edmonton. And then I would assume the next guy after that is, is probably Frederick Anderson, who's at 9-2-3. Uh, those are the three guys, in my opinion, at, at this point, is, is Rene, Gibson, and Freddie. And then Vasilevsky will probably find his way back into the conversation once he plays some more games now that he's back from injury. I mean... Pecorine, he's also playing behind a dynamite defense, right? So it's it's tough for me to give him the same sort of recognition that I would give other goaltenders that don't have the t- sure. you know the PK yeah. Subban, um, you know, Matthias Ekholm, Ryan Ellis, Roman Yossi. It's like you call those guys out on the ice for other guys or for other 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 teams. It's like oh, it makes sense. Oh, that goalie's having such an easy time. Case in point, look what happened to uh, to Scott Darling when he left. The blanket of Chicago's defense goes to Carolina, doesn't have the same defense, and then gets lit up and doesn't look like he's going to play in the NHL anymore. <laughs> he just gets exposed. So I think a lot of it has to do with that too. What do you feel about that? No, I, I think so. Um, you know, that's unfortunately not what goes into the decision making. Ah, uh, yeah, not everyone. I know, I know, I know. I mean, you look at you look at Rene's numbers just right now. He's the clear favorite because save save percentage. He's right up there with John Gibson. Like I said, he's right up there with Vasilevsky. Uh, Anderson's a couple points off. They're going to look at it. You know they're going to look at it. He is by far better than everybody at this point. He's the only goaltender in the entire league under two goals uh, two goals per game and goals against average. He's at 1.96. The next best is Koskinen at 2.18. Uh, Gibson's at 2.54. And Anderson's at 2.55. So I, I hate using goals against average. I think, obviously, it's more of a team-based thing for sure. It's not just the goalie who goes into uh, when you look at teams giving up goals. 
it, it's a whole team effort. They're going to use it. They're going to use wins. You know, Granny's going to pick up more wins likely than John Gibson. You know, Frederick Anderson, to some extent, is probably going to pick up more wins than John Gibson just because of the team support that they have in front of them. It, it's tough, man. It's a tough call. They're, they're not going to look at things like goals saved above average, where John Gibson is by far uh, in front it of It was something right stupid, now. like a 22? Yeah, he, it was something far, re- the, ridiculous. The next, the next closest guy, I think, was David Riddich in Calgary, and I think Pecorini was up there just because of his numbers right now. Um, if I had to pick, I would say it's probably between John Gibson and Frederick Anderson at this point. If if I was voting on the Vesna, which is hilarious that it's between those two, right? Yeah. The, the forever argument among Ducks fans is between John Gibson and Frederick Anderson. If it comes down to those two at the end of the year and one of them is runner-up i mean imagine if freddie wins it and gibson was runner-up and it was because something like wins Uh, you know you know the (laughs) the ducks twitter would just ignite and there's always going to be people who who like freddie over gibson there's always going to be people who like gibson over freddie but for some reason it just always lingers one of them one of them has a great game one of them has a bad game and it just resurfaces out of nowhere if that's the case if they're both on the ballot. If it, let's say, if it's Rene Gibson and Freddie, if they're both all th- they both nominated, and one of them wins over the other one, oh my god, that's just gonna be ridiculous. Let me let me ask you, who do you think is the goalie five on five when, when there's no special teams involved, um, or no pole goalie situation? None of that. Who has faced the most high danger shots against in the NHL? Five on five on five. Yeah. Oh man! I, again, I, I feel like honestly, it's between Gibson and and Freddie. It's Gibson um, and I, then Craig would... Anderson, then Jacob Markstrom, oh, and right. then Craig Frederick Anderson. Anderson. Okay, yeah, Craig Anderson. Right? Yeah, Craig Anderson makes sense. I'm surprised he's not in front of John Gibson, honestly, because I mean, the yeah. Ottawa Senators just are are horrible. They and that high danger save percentage, Pekarene leads that with a nine one seven. Gibby's second with eight seven six, but Gibby's also faced a boatload more than him. So. It, it were, we were honestly splitting hairs, and I get it. I always jump down the rabbit hole when I go to defense for uh, John Gibson for Vesna because I think he deserves it. Um, I think he deserved it last year. He's one of the few guys that's maintained like a like a nine two four or nine two five save percentage, I believe, over the last three or four seasons. I heard that uh, from Dmitry Filipovich. He yeah. was he's well, Gibby has the best giving all the love to him over the last few seasons or or over the first. I think it was over the last few seasons. Gibson is number one. And I think it was also over uh, a goaltender's first 100 games or something. Yeah, he just Gibson kills it. That's the highest save percentage of all time. Like, that's ridiculous. He's and, doing and, that in this era. And so for anyone to say, like, why is Bob Murray giving him that kind of extension? It's like, yeah, you kind of have to. Doing this? You have to. I mean, what, what more can he do? I mean, he's putting up the, all the numbers that should matter but for a goaltender. But his playoff performances like it, aren't there. You don't have record of that. Yeah. It's like, judge, okay. Judging a goaltender individually is the hardest thing, I think, in the game. You can judge players individually and points be, generally, right? You, you can look at primary points. You can obviously look at goals. You can look at a lot of different categories. There's more categories to look at that generally look at the individual efforts of a player, and you can say, okay, this guy's better than this guy, or this guy's doing really well. For goaltenders, we still have these, I don't want to say archaic stats because they matter, but ones that are so heavily influenced on the team. Goals against average, heavily team influenced wins, heavily team influenced save percentage to some extent is still team influenced. But you look at, again, save percentage is still kind of, you can look at it individually. Goals saved above average is is one that you can look at more at, as an individual. 
high danger save percentage again that that is a really indicative of how well a goaltender does in those important situations john gibson see you know, year in year out is generally one two or three in all of those categories and then like we said over the over the first hundred games in his career highest save percentage of any goaltender i believe over the uh, last three or four seasons highest save percentage out of every goaltender in the league I mean, no wonder you're gonna you're gonna give this guy and hit your extension because he's doing this. He, he, he leads know. the league right now in high danger goals against uh, goals saved above average, over Pekarene. Yeah. He has almost 50 shots in the high danger zone uh, and all over all strengths over the next goaltender. He, he's he's putting up insane this? numbers, insane numbers. Do you think Do you think they'd be saying this if it was if we had a kept Freddie? Um, well, I don't think you would have given Freddie an eight-year extension because he's about four years older than John Gibson. But if they yeah, had kept Freddie and gave him a, a six-year extension, do you think we'd be hearing this? No, because he's uh, he's not American. You got you Canadian boys don't like giving the uh, the old American any sort of you know <laughs> nod or any sort of votes or why would you give an American a goaltender award? It ain't just, gonna happen. But not since to Tim me, Thomas. It, it's crazy to me. <laughs> I mean, you look at. You know, Carey Price's extension gets a lot of talk because it was ridiculous. It's a lot of money. I mean, oh, it's after, a lot the, the of scratch for a playing, goalie. The way he was playing at the time, I understand. He was winning Vesnas. The, the Canadians were winning. They were. He he was easily, I think, in my opinion, the best goaltender in the league. This is what he was doing. Uh, I don't he know, fooled me basis. for two seasons that he was. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, the thing is, like, you don't hear anything about that anymore. And and I don't think you really hear anything about uh, Gibson's contract outside of Anaheim and outside of Ducks fans. Um, I just don't get it. I mean, he's making under $7 million. He's putting up these numbers. But I think the problem is because the voting system is still based on wins and because I think a lot of people still – like not a lot of people are, are, are interested in analytics for, for sometimes good reasons. People I just don't want to get involved in it. I yeah. get it. It's so like a it's nerd third thing. It. They call it that. Yeah. It's, it's too much. So on the surface, then you look at wins and you look at playoff success, which to me is ridiculous. But to some people, that's how they judge – the success of a goaltender and that's why i think he gets so much flack i mean the ducks just haven't done anything in the playoffs with john gibson they've gone decently far not really his fault either he's played well pretty much most of the times they've gone far in the playoffs he's been pretty good um i mean carrie price has one heart which is insane 2014 2015 season yeah one ted lindsey ted lindsey award which is like mvp voted by the players right is that what the ted, ted lindsey is i think right yeah yeah and then he got the vesda that year so he yeah. had a great year in 2014-2015, and then another great year in 2015-2016, but he only played 12 games when he had a yeah. nine three four save percentage that year. So How many Vestas does Carey Price have? One? One. So, and, and I, I thought at one point I did believe he was the best goaltender uh, in the league. He was for that time. I still think he's a really – Yeah, I still think he is, but it, it's crazy to me. Like, if John, Let's just say John Gibson continues playing this ball or even ups his game finishes the way he does the Ducks get in the playoffs let's just even stretch it out further let's say they win the Pacific Division you'd have to I think at that time consider him for the heart if the Ducks are still bottom three in goal scoring and are top five in goals in, in uh, they won't look against. at that they look at wins goals against average it, it doesn't yeah matter. but I, I, I think like if his save percentage is still above like if it's still around 928 if his goals against average comes down to 2.3 2.2 and he the wins for the heart doesn't necessarily always matter. Let's say even he gets 30 wins and he has a pretty good record. And I think they'll look at it. And, and if he wins this again, this is all a stretch. But if he wins the heart, you'd have to assume if he wins the heart, he probably wins the Vesna then. Because if he's you, you would just have to assume that. So he wins the heart, he wins the Vesna. He's now in the same category 
uh, awards-wise, is Carey Price. And arguably had better seasons throughout his career than Carey Price has. But nobody talks about him. No, no one talks about Gibson at all, man. No one does. It's crazy. I, I don't get it. And, and I mean, I that's why I love the analytics people because everybody there talks about John Gibson because mm-hmm. the numbers show how good he is. And 100%. It's just ins- and I mean, even the eye test, you can see how good John Gibson He's making ridiculous saves on the night. Or ones he can't control, or the, the odd bad one he lets in. Like tonight, you can't blame him for the, the two goals that went in. No, they were they were tough one for him to save. They were kind of awkward bounces. Finds Brian Russ on the second goal, literally two inches in front of the net. I mean, not much you can do there. And then on the power play, Malkin just squeaks one through. Tough one for Gibbs. I'm sure you want it back, but again, it wasn't a play where you're like, oh, that was a bad play by John Gibson. How many times this year have we said, oh man, Gibby, come on, that was a bad play. Maybe no, worse. yeah, a couple here and there, but we're talking over the course of thirty-five games when he's been in net, and it's he's faced the most shots, he's faced the you know the hardest shots. He's another not much more we can say about him. We're thirty-five games in, and we've said that twice. And you look at a guy like Corey Schneider in New Jersey has a sub nine hundred save percentage, uh, save percentage, and is like over four uh, goals against per game. I mean, they're saying that every night about him. So, and even some of the best goalies. I mean, Bobrovsky at times this year, as good as he is and has how many wins he has in, in Columbus and his two Vezina trophies, he's had struggles this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frederick Van has had struggles. The outstanding numbers. He's let in some bad ones this year. Uh, I mean, I just don't get it. Uh, we could talk about John Gibson forever pretty much because I think we both kind of agree the same thing. Is just he's so good. Uh, but he's probably, despite the numbers and everything, he's probably still the most underrated goalie in this league. I agree. Let's get I on to he, our yeah, fan I, questions, I, I, I man. And we would have kept going. I had to cut you <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All good here. We got about 20 minutes left in the show roundabouts to talk about some updates to our program going forward here. We got some scheduling we have to work out. But before we get there, we need to talk about our post-game questions. We had some fan questions. People, people chiming in on Twitter here. I don't let's see. You got him up or I got him up. Yeah, I got him. Perfect. Let's do it. So Derek uh, asked the first question. He said, how would you rate the players that are in the lineup now versus the beginning of the season? So he said, i.e. Sprong, Dodgson, Mahura, Kasha, and Richie for now. And at the beginning of the season, Shen, Schuster, Terry, come to one steal. Oh, well, I, I think personally it's for me is, is, the chemistry seems to have, have been there. I think Dodgson and Mahura are upgrades on Shannon Suster. That's a big thing. Yeah. I don't necessarily think they are contributed a ton to the Ducks' success. I think just having that consistency, knowing they're going to be back, they're going to be reliable, has been big. We've seen that in the past with Bieksa on the bottom pairing and knowing how every night you're going to go in there, you don't know what you're going to get from them, uh, and it's tough to have that. Now you've got three pairs for, for the time being until Cam Fowler gets back that you can at least rely on and you know they're not going to make too many mistakes. And then up front, I mean, even when Comtois was in the lineup, he was great. Sam Steele wasn't that bad. Troy Terry obviously wasn't good when he was here. But you bring in Sprong, made an immediate impact. Three goals and an assist in, in his first six games as a duck. Andre Kasha has been unbelievable since coming back. And he's just probably the Ducks' most, the biggest threat for the Ducks up front right now. And then Nick Ritchie. 
I mean, he slowed down a bit, but he started off really hot uh, after finally signing his contract. So I think it's just the consistency, the fact that the Ducks have been able to roll four lines. They've all worked. We really haven't had to throw the blender too much over the last 10 games. Everybody's just starting to gel together. I think that's what's been huge. Uh, I would agree. It's it's whatever they've been doing, it's slowly gotten better. The lines have, have started to stick. He hasn't done the line blender so that always helps as well. The, the Lindholm and Montour pairing actually looks pretty good. Um, I, I would say they haven't been the most amazing pair, but um, they've definitely gotten better, and, and especially during this winning stretch. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's move on to the next question. Chip from Totally Offsides asked, did the Ducks experience drinking game help turn this season around? <laughs> so if, if you haven't seen it, our friendship that uh, runs the Totally Offsides podcast created a very long list uh, when the Ducks were playing very bad of uh, Ducks drinking game, uh, which just, I, I mean, it's it's massive now at this point. It's just every every game we add to it. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's a great list. Do you think it somehow turned this season around and uh, people will be a little bit more happy about how things have been going? I know it's been uh, making life more bearable for me when I watch games. That's 100% yeah. for sure. Uh, so I'll get I'll give her credit on that one. I think it definitely helped the Ducks fans rally this team and uh, turn this into a uh, a hell of a win streak here for the Ducks. So I'll give Chip credit for that one. It's made it's made Ducks Twitter uh, a lot more a lot more fun to be around. Um, <laughs> American American Duck on Twitter said, "What do you guys think of Dodge?" And I personally think he has been a great pickup by Bob Murray. Um, yeah, he's been for what he is. He's been pretty solid. I haven't seen him make any like egregious plays where I'm shaking my head and being like, why? I haven't had any BXO moments. So, yeah, I think he's actually played pretty well. He fits in nicely on this team. It'll be curious to see who gets bumped. Probably most likely Mahura when Cam Fowler comes back and they're going to have to reshuffle lines yeah. up again. But uh, we'll see how that goes. But as for right now, I think he's been great. Yeah, I, I think the big thing is the Ducks finally have somebody who's reliable on that bottom pairing on the right side. It was Bieksa, wasn't working with him. Um, then it was Shen, then it was Suster, then it was Walensky, and nobody just seemed to be able to play there without making mistakes on a nightly basis. And Dotchin comes in, hasn't done anything amazing, but he's just been reliable. He's been a steady presence back there. You haven't really had to worry when he's out on the ice. He's he's making smart decisions. When no. you don't notice a guy like that on your bottom pairing, he's doing a good job. And I haven't really noticed Dotchin for the last three or four games. And, and the only time I really notice him is when he does something well offensively which means he's doing well uh, on the defensive side of the puck. So I've been happy with it. I'm happy that they have some reliability on that right side because that's always been a problem for the Ducks is just, you know, it's always been Manson Montour and then whatever we can scrape together to throw on that uh, that bottom pairing on the right side. And now that they have Dodgen, God forbid none of them get hurt. They have a, a pretty reliable right side of, of the defense for the three pairings. And then, like you said, once Cam Fowler comes back, then you presumably have Hampus Lindholm, Cam Fowler, and probably Jacob Larson. Uh, Josh Maher is the easiest one to send down. But even right now, Larson has played pretty good as of late, too. So it's been nice. It's been refreshing. Yeah, and no one on this defense has good possession numbers this this year. Uh, no, one's had, no one's been on the positive side on scoring chances or on high-danger chances. They had such a rough start in the beginning of the year. You go look at the stats right now, they don't look great. You'd have to literally break down the streak to see where the improvements go, right? The streak at the beginning, which was terrible, and to see the improvements here. That'd be an interesting way to go look at this Ducks team to see how the improvements have gone for each player. But uh, the stats don't tell it all right now because this streak they're on, and the guys look a lot better. 
Yeah, I think so. Uh, let's get into the next question here. The next two actually are about Andre Kasha, which isn't a big surprise. But uh, Sierra asks, what are your thoughts about Kasha on the first line? Do you think he's found a permanent spot there? I hope so. I, I think he belongs there over a guy like Corey Perry. I mean, sorry. Do you have a, a young kid coming into the league who's, who's tearing it up right now with and he looks comfortable now with, with Ryan Getzloff? So when Corey Perry comes back or even Raquel comes back, I think you have to make room for Andre Kasha on the top line. I, I think so. Um, I mean, we said this before, and then they moved Daniel Sprong up there with Pontus Abrig and, and moved Kasha down to the second line, and that didn't work out. So uh, with the way he's playing lately and the way he's just gelled perfectly with Ryan Getzlaff, they'd be stupid to move him off that line at this point. Uh, once Raquel comes back, you would have to assume that Pontus Abrig gets moved off that top pairing, mm-hmm. or that top line, and gets put somewhere else in the lineup, which I'm fine with right now. I think Abrig can make a difference at, at any on any line he's a little bit inconsistent offensively but when he has a, a, a good night when he's feeling it doesn't really matter who he's playing with he generally just plays well uh but man it, it, it's crazy that Raquel still isn't in this lineup and hasn't been for a, a, a while now and there's and no updates team is still playing well and, and there's, there's no no updates on Ricard Raquel's status yeah. either which is tough but I mean imagine uh when he gets back in and uh if he can do what he was doing before with Getzlaff and Kasha and how well that line looked and, and how much that's going to benefit the Ducks, not only just five on five, but on the power play. I mean, he's last year in the last two years, he's been the Ducks best player uh, up front. And I mean, uh, you add him back in the lineup, hopefully, you know, things will work out for him. And if he gels well with Getzlaff and Kasha, this team's going to start putting the puck in the back of the net on a regular basis. Like they have been lately. So that that's scary. And then Corey Perry, eventually, Eventually, he's going to make his, his return. And, uh, I mean, March. he'll still he's make back in March. You know, I don't know what kind of impact he'll make, but he'll still be, I think, a positive influence on this team to have him in the lineup. So, I mean, the way the Ducks are playing lately, you had to think you no Cam Fowler, no Ricard Raquel, no Corey Perry, no Patrick Eves. I mean, all these guys add them back into the lineup. That's going to help. Uh, just side note, I saw Patrick Eves. And Cam Fowler on the ice at Anaheim Ice on Sunday, shooting on some goalie out with their uh, with uh, Larry Barron, their skating coach. So he was just randomly saw those guys on the ice. Fowler looks a little messed up still, understandably so. Yeah. He broke like three bones in his face, but uh, he and Eves are skating around no problem, taking slap shots, doing one timers. So hopefully that means they're both close. You know, especially seeing uh, Fowler and Eves on the ice is always a good sign. For sure. Uh, next question was about Andre Kasha, too, from Kevin Dietz. He asked, could Kasha become a 30-goal scorer in the NHL? Not just bit. this season, but just a 30-goal scorer. Uh, that's tough to gauge, but I would say yes. Uh, as long as you yeah. – he, he's got to play with somebody um, that's going to be able to feed him the puck, right? He's able to make his own space. We've seen that. But mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't at any point put him as um, like a, a consistent thirty goal score, you got to hit that plateau. I mean, we saw Raquel hit that, and then look at this year. I mean, granted, he's injured yeah. now. It, it's tough it's to really say tough. a guy's a mainstay at thirty. Twenty obviously is easier to hit just because it's a lower number. But even twenty goal scores are, are hard to come by. So we'll see yeah. what happens yeah. with, with Andre here. Let's let's not put too high of an expectation on him. But I think this year he's definitely going to hit twenty goals. Yeah, per- perennial twenty goal scores are that that's impressive, and it's mm-hmm. all right. I mean, a guy who scores 20 goals every season, uh, a guy that was doing that literally every year of his career until this year was James Neal. 
and everybody was was saying James Neal is, is a legitimate goal scorer in this league. And you look at guys who are perennial 20 goal scorers, they're highly sought after and they're valuable players to teams. I mean, it's just, it's essentially, it's reliable, free 20 goals each year for your team if a guy's going to do that. I think Andre Kachin can, can do that. But when you jump up to 30, off the top of my head, there's not many guys who can hit 30 every year. And if they do, it's the elite of the elite in the game, right? Um, it's it's very, very tough to do that on a, a regular basis. You mentioned Ricard Raquel, two straight seasons, and then you know things just don't go right for one year. You start off slow, and you know you only have four games in the fir- four goals in the first twenty games. That's hard to get back up to thirty. Oh yeah, point. you got to go. You got to go on a roll. You got to score almost a goal every three games. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's tough. It, it's going to be tough for him to hit it. I think he could hit thirty this year, though. I mean, he's at nine right now. He's only played nineteen games. He, the Ducks still have, what, 50, a little bit less than 50, like 46 or 47 games left in the season. He'd have to score 21. Uh, tough to get there. but the Goal way every other playing, game. If he, can, if, he, if he can continue playing this way and, and stay hot, it, there's a chance. But I think for sure he's at least going to hit 20. So Gordon Bombay says Kasha is a perennial 100-goal scorer. He guarantees it. And Derek Lockwood <laughs> said uh, that Giddy is not yet Vesna quality. He is a close uh, second. Uh, probably behind Pecorine. So there's some uh, some chatter there in our in our uh, speaker chat. So give you some Yeah, I'm fine with that. I, I, I think just if you you know, Pecorine I think still is the favorite in a lot of people's minds and for good reason he has played well. But uh I think Gibson's right behind him for sure. Alright, what do we got next? Uh from from Skid McMarks on <laughs> on Twitter, he said, "Is it just me, or does Montour appear to be outshining Lindholm? I saw a few questionable passes and plays from Lindholm tonight." Yep, I would agree. I think Montour has really stepped his game up as of late, um, and he's actually made himself probably the best defenseman on this team. I would clearly say that without 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 question. And everyone knows Lindholm's my boy. Yeah, and, so that's uh, tough for you to say. That's tough for me to say. And no defenseman's having, like I said, an, an excellent year defensively on this team. They're going through a great spurt right now where things look good. So we'll see how, how the long hole kind of runs out for these guys, especially with Fowler coming back. Maybe they can keep everything going and stay gelled. But, uh, no, I would agree. Brandon Montour's looked really, really good uh, both on both sides of the puck. Great two-way defender. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that I think Hampus Lindholm has played bad. I haven't really been disappointed with the way Lindholm's no. played. He was playing really good. Uh, at the beginning of the season, um, and it's, it's kind of slowed down a bit. But the fact of the matter is, Brandon Montour's just been playing out of his mind lately, and you can't uh, you can't look at that and say he's not playing better than Hampus Lindholm right now because he's just been that good. So, and that, that's that's great because Hampus Lindholm is still a steady presence back there. The offense might not be there, but he's still re- the most reliable defenseman on this team. It's just Brandon Montour has been doing the flashy things, putting the puck in the back of the net, having a four point night, you know, being noticeable in a way that you have to put him in front of Lindholm at this point. But I think that pairing has easily been the Ducks' best, uh, something we didn't expect, the way they were kind of on and off to start the year. Uh, but again, I mean, we say anybody can play with Hampus Lindholm, and it just happens to be Brandon Montour is taking advantage of that and playing really well. Yeah, and I went back. I just I just looked at, uh, just filtered through some stats for them. From the beginning of November till today, I don't know how many games are in that, but Brandon Montour is definitely on the positive side of most uh, most of the categories here. Looking at scoring chances, he is ahead in that one. That's a big one. Scoring chances for versus against. So he's out there more often when, they, when his team's on on the positive side of the puck rather than, rather than the negative. That's a key indicator for me. And Lindholm's like 40 chances behind in the same time span. So 
Say what yeah. it is. It's a it's a small sample size. Brandon well, Montour. Twenty two games. Yeah, Brandon Montour is definitely playing better hockey right now. So I, yeah. I I give it to him. For sure. I mean, from beginning of November to now is twenty two games. I I think in the long run is a small sample size, but that's a pretty a pretty big amount of games to look at and say that you can kind of attribute that Brandon Montour has been really good for the last month and a bit. But uh, last question on Twitter was from Christopher. He asked, "Do the Ducks re-sign Ryan Miller next year?" No. Not at 38, not with this injury. Not even for a year? No, not with this injury and his age. I don't yeah, think they do. No. Fair enough, fair enough. I, Was that, I, is that Chris Smith? I, I would say without the... Chris, uh, it just says Christopher. Oh, it's Christopher. not Chris Smith. I know it's not Chris Smith. Oh, okay. I was like, <laughs> is Chris trying to, trying to go after uh, me here? <laughs> yeah, you would, you would expect so. But uh, if there was no injury, I would say, yes, one-year deal. Ryan Miller is back, the way he was playing. Uh, with the injury, I don't know. Uh, if he wants to continue playing, I could see Bob Murray making a move to if they think he's ready to go, if he's healthy, I still think they could give it to him. Because right now the Ducks don't really have anybody behind John Gibson that's reliable. Mm-hmm. And if you can't, if you look, I don't know who's available or going to be available in free agency this year, but can you go out and spend more money on a guy in free agency that's going to? arguably be any good is he going to be better than what you can get for ryan miller if you sign ryan miller for a year even with the injury uh, if you want to make that bet you know what you get ryan miller we know bob murray likes to kind of play it safe at times so does he gamble and go out and, and try and get another backup or if they want to stick with ryan miller ryan miller wants to play i think that's the likely option for them uh for me it all depends on on how he looks for after this injury that i think that's the big thing for him at this point because that's a tough one to come back from at his age being a goaltender he's not really a mobile goaltender anymore so it's like jonathan quick with his knee injuries and his groin injuries where it's tough for him to keep coming back from those but either way it's going to be a tough one and it'll be interesting to see how ryan miller plays after coming back because i think that will go into whether the ducks re-sign him or not yeah no i'd agree with you man i i would i would say it's over though uh gordon bombay and chances miller time is over i'm into craft beer now um well, welcome to welcome to big boy beer, Gordon. Just <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Ryan Miller has been great, though. Honestly, he's um, he's done a lot for the Ducks. He's he's, I mean, really played way way and well above expectation, in my opinion. Probably for all Ducks yeah. fans, I wouldn't think anybody would thought would have thought he would come in here and, and dominate games like he has. The injury was really unfortunate. So hopefully, he's able to come back and be healthy for himself. And then if he's able to play and, you know, they still think he has another year to give, then give him the year. But he's at that age where he can kind of decide his own fate and he's going to know his knee better than anybody else. So we'll see how it goes. But I, I would probably lean on the side of no. Yeah, he's arguably been one of the best backups in the league since coming to Anaheim, which has been invaluable to this team's success. Um, you know, we haven't had that reliability in net since we had Freddie and Gibson mm-hmm. as your one-two. And now, you know, Ryan Miller coming in, we... we get to give John Gibson that defined number one, which is great. And, and it, it's so valuable for a goaltender to know he's the number one guy. And then you've got a guy in Ryan Miller who's comfortable being a backup. And and you don't always get that. You don't always get a, a combination where one guy is the guaranteed starter and he's okay with, you know, and, and the guy behind him is okay with being a backup, especially a guy who's had the success that Ryan Miller has had. You know, he's okay being the number two in Anaheim, which you don't always get in some situations when you bring in a guy He's a little bit younger, you know, bringing a backup in some cases. You know, even look at Scott Darling. Do you think he was okay being the backup behind Corey Crawford? 
Obviously not when he goes no. off to maybe get a job to be a starter somewhere else, which you can understand. And maybe it's the, the point Ryan Miller is in his career. But, you know, it's not something you get often where both guys are okay with their standing uh, of where how many games are going to play, where they're going to play, and whatnot, um, and, and just be so good as well. So it's been, it's been invaluable. If Ryan Miller can come back, and if I knew he was going to have another good season, I would say resign for sure. Uh, right now I'm just kind of hesitant and wait until – Till after this injury and see if he's okay. All right, what else we got, man? Uh, I think that's yeah. So that that's it for questions. We're all good. I think we only had some on Twitter today. Uh, I know we had one uh, from earlier in the week. I'll see if I could find find that one because we didn't do a show on Sunday or Saturday against Columbus, where Daniel Sprong went out of his mind for probably his best game of the season yeah but, we missed uh, the show on on uh on saturday for sure we all had prior obligations with family and then i was at uh k-rock chip's birthday with jason so we didn't get a chance to do that one how did that watch party go did because we didn't get to talk about it no it was good it was really good man a few people showed up that i knew a bunch of people that i didn't know show up so she had a good turnout i thought um and of course the game was great daniel sprung hooking up the win there for the ducks getting both goals so that was always nice to see, but that was it was a good time, man. All right, well, I can't find that question, so I guess we'll just move on to uh, to close out the show, and we'll we'll talk about what we're going to do next. Yeah, let's do that. So Patreon's been kind of a uh, interesting task these past couple of months. I mean, we thought adding one show a week doing bonuses wouldn't be a big <laughs> deal, and then the holidays and Eddie with school and Jason with work and me with my job, these things kind of get mixed up. We were able to squeak all those in last month. We're going to do the same this month. Um, I mean, we got to be able to put out two bonus shows this week. And then uh, I also wanted to make mention I got all the pucks in. So we got all the puck bottle openers in, which are pretty pretty badass. So I put those up on social media today. We're going to be sending those out to our, our, our uh, the $10 tier for Patreon. And then we're definitely going to have some for giveaway too. So those of you that aren't part of the Patreon, we're still going to give you a chance to get those. Um, and I also wanted to give a shout-out to Cool Hockey, man, before we end the show. CoolHockey.com. Go there. Use FM20. Uh, you're probably a little too late buying one for Christmas, but maybe you get that uh, that that gift that comes in if a couple weeks later or a week later you get a chance to grab an extra gift there for yourself or for someone else. Go to CoolHockey.com. They're the ones who sponsor our Forever Mighty 3-star uh, leaderboard, which gives you the chance to win a jersey from there. So go check them out. That's where you got to be. And um, we'll be back tomorrow night after the Ranger game, and we'll do another show there. If the, you, know, you got anything else said, you want to wrap here? Yeah, I just want to say... Um... YouTube, if anybody does watch this on YouTube and is listening to it now because we haven't been on YouTube, uh, we can't do it live when I'm on the road uh, because it just it just doesn't work with the internet I have. But we, we still will be trying to upload videos um, after the night for those so for those people who want to catch it on YouTube. Uh, we didn't have one, obviously, for the last game. We won't have one for the podcast we're recording right now because it wasn't recording properly. So we're going to try and have one for tomorrow. Um, and then also just the audio. If the, the audio seems like it's a little bit off, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, if it sounds like I'm calling in from a radio or, or, or whatever, um, it's also, again, because I'm on the road. So that will all be fixed after the Christmas break once we get back. So if you're wondering why the audio quality has gone down any bit, it's just because of that. And, and it will be, it, it'll be something we can fix once I, I get back from the holidays. Right on. That's it, you guys. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Have a great night.